0: This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips.
1: Good morning and welcome to Town Square Sunday. Biggest story of the past couple of weeks, the closure of the UMass Dartmouth College of Visual and Performing Arts at the Star Store in downtown New Bedford. That closure was announced in mid-August, angering students, some in the business community, certainly those involved in the arts community of New Bedford, local politicians, and many more. Those who are upset are now pinning their hopes on Governor Healy to step forward and somehow reverse that decision made by the UMass hierarchy. Kind of a long shot. Jack Spillane, we're here to talk with Jack about that. Jack, of course, the columnist for New Bedford Light. He has written forcefully about this issue. In fact, Jack told us more than a year ago that there was a move underway to move UMass out of the Star Store building. Jack is with us this morning to speak further. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. Uh, It's my understanding, when the legislature considered the state budget this spring, the funding for the Star Store was in the budget initially. Uh, That funding survived a House vote, but not in the Senate. The conference committee did not put the money back. I've been hearing Mark Montigny talk about the Star Store for 20 years. How did he let this happen?
0: How ironic. The guy who was most responsible for bringing the Star Store, College of Visual Performing Arts, to downtown New Bedford is the guy who didn't fund it, and now the university is saying he's to blame for it leaving downtown New Bedford. Whether it's Montigny's fault, Montigny is pointing at the university. Um, The mayor is pointing at Montigny. Uh, Montigny is uh, pointing, no one is really pointing at Paul Downey, who seems to have um, taken advantage of the whole situation for his own own purposes. Uh, It's just a saga that's almost Shakespearean.
1: Yeah, I mean, how did this happen? How did we get to this position where kids have to move their stuff out of that building, over the past two weeks, if they were here, I don't know if they if they went home and lived out of state. If they made it back here, if they even know about it, at this point, I'm sure they do. But uh, for 116 students, it is a nightmare. Uh, now they're looking for some makeshift space on campus, and there's, I guess, there's going to be some space off campus as well at the old Bed, Bath, and Beyond building at the Dartmouth Town Center. I mean, that's that's kind
0: of funny the, if it uh, wasn't so sad. Some, some of the students have already been making mock um, posters that say Bed, Bath, and Beyond University. Yeah. Um, it is an ignominious um, uh, end for them. And we talked a lot about how unfair this is to downtown New Bedford because the College of Visual and Performing Arts is largely credited with being... The spark that engendered the downtown revival. The Citerion did some, the National Park did some, but it was really bringing the students in that led to the opening of the coffee shops, the galleries, the, the dress shops. Um, people say, how could this happen? I first heard that they were thinking of bringing it back to the Dartmouth campus and back. Some of these artisan programs like um, ceramics and yeah, they were, uh, were always in New Bedford. They were, at the, at, they were down on Purchase Street at the old quest building store, the old UMass Technical Institute right. store um, building. So I first heard about it when Robert Johnson was the Chancellor. He was briefly the Chancellor for three or four years, and um, I began hearing that he wanted to bring the New Bedford campuses back to Dartmouth. Um, uh, I you know, was hearing that the, the university did not see itself as, as part of economic development. They wanted to get out of economic development. Um, and Uh, So then I began hearing it again last year that they were not replacing the fine arts faculty, the sculpture instructors, the painting instructors, and they had, in the meantime, brought down Mount Ida College's uh, uh, programs in the contemporary design, programs like fashion design and interior design. Now, UMass will tell you that that's a totally different program, but it's a finite budget, and they will tell you that that program is more popular than the fine arts, maybe, but the artists will say that UMass stopped recruiting for the fine artists. And we know that enrollment is down at the state universities in, in general, across the board. Anyway, it looks to me like UMass was looking for an excuse to leave. They got this excuse when Montigny didn't fund the building. And astonishingly, and this is where it's unfair to the students, they said to those students who were getting ready to go back to school, and they're largely master's degree students, At the downtown campus. Graduate students. Yeah, the MFA program, Master of Fine Arts program. Get your things out of there in two weeks while they were trying to prepare for school. Here's
1: the real (laughs) head-scratcher. UMass could have purchased the building for a dollar some months ago.
0: Is that right? Yes. So there was a 20-year lease with Paul Downey. And Montigny built into that lease that at the end of it, when downey's debt for borrowing to refurbish the building into a, from a department store into a, an art school would be paid off that the school uh that, that, that the university could purchase it for a dollar because remember when Montigny first did this, there was a lot of concern that this was a gift to the developer and that he was going to get rich on it and it was unfair um so there was that dollar purchase what The Chancellor, Chancellor Mark Fuller, will tell you is that the State Division of Capital Asset Management, which is a state bureaucratic agency that is in charge of all buildings in the state, everything is their baby, the maintenance of it, the sale of it, if they don't want it anymore, the purchase of it, that they would not let him uh, purchase the building for a dollar because they said that the maintenance had been not done over the last, next 20, 20 years, and the maintenance was so expensive they would never be able to afford it. They, they have a formula, uh, he said, that buildings over 50 years old don't make sense, and they, 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 they reportedly have $300 million of deferred maintenance for the brutalist um, architecture designed in Dartmouth 30 years ago. So, New Mass Dartmouth... Just looks very similar to UMass Boston, insolvent all around. Montigny, last after after they after they did not exercise that option in twenty twenty one, got together with Governor Baker, then Governor Baker, and put a lease extension for a year. And then they had the instead of saying you can purchase for a dollar this time, they said you will purchase it for a dollar, which UMass did. Um, I think my understanding is that it was November of twenty twenty two, and. Downey um, then objected to it, said, oh, no, you've missed the deadline. The building is mine. So here we are with students
1: back to the UMass Dartmouth campus in makeshift conditions, um, other sites, as we mentioned. Uh, I guess I want to know What happened? I mean, doesn't make sense. Does it doesn't it? make sense. No, I'm uh, look. The mayor has expressed his concern over this. He said, he told you, I think, that uh, listen. When I inquired about this, everyone said, "Don't worry, we'll take care of it. It's going to be taken care of." Yes, that didn't happen.
0: Yes, so he told the same thing to to Marcus Farrow and and Chris McCarthy on WBSM's own South Coast Now. He said he was kept out of it. Um, Montigny says he wasn't kept out of it. There was nothing. To, there was no negotiations to be had. They either took the building for a dollar or they didn't. Um, uh, so uh, he says that you know, this OP, this federal uh, COVID relief money. This the irony is, there's all kinds of money around where the city could have helped. Um, it just didn't happen. Whether he was kept out of it, you know, I, I would say that. The House delegation deferred a little bit too much to Montigny. Everybody always felt it was Montigny's baby. So what happened was the House put the money in. The Senate never put the money in. And when the Senate never put the money in, when it came to conference committee, somehow the Senate point of view prevailed. I've not figured out yet how, why the House gave in on that. The only thing I've been told by delegation members is it was Montigny's baby. Well... You have responsibility. You are a separate branch of government. You are the House of Representatives, not the Senate. If you think that's a bad idea, you have a responsibility to say, Mark, if you don't fund this, then the university, which we already know doesn't want it, may use it as an excuse to walk away. And that appears to be what happened.
1: This is another example. I'm speaking with Jack Spillane. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. Uh, Jack Spillane of New Bedford Life. This is another example of the legislature, the mayor, the senator, the reps, senator, and the mayor not working together.
0: Yeah. We talked about this
1: several shows back. Yeah. They do not work work well
0: together. This is crazy. They don't. And the only thing I can say is that, you know, you look at it long enough, And what is the common ingredient? And I'm sad to say, because I think he's overall been a good mayor, is the common ingredient is John Mitchell. Now, there are a lot of egos involved. Montigny mentioned as much at the dedication of 117 Union, which is a new housing development going on in the downtown. Uh, But the mayor has difficulty with the city council. He has difficulty with the legislative delegation. Uh, You know, he he appears to have difficulty with UMass. Uh, uh, Now, I can say that there's other people, you know, I don't think Senator Montigny is particularly the easiest person to work for. He wants to prevail. Uh, I'm not sure that the city council, there are some councillors, are the same way. Absolutely. But part of leadership is finding a way to work with difficult people. And I don't think he's done that. So it's been two weeks uh,
1: since the news broke. So far, crickets from the governor's office. Not
0: even a statement crickets from the governor's office, crickets from President Meehan's office. Uh, you know, this is just astonishing that, you know, Montigny said, I've written a letter to the, to the governor's office. He even released the letter. But what is the governor supposed to do? I mean, the governor does not fund the budget by herself. I mean, she could lean on Meehan, but he has kind of an independent fiefdom there. I mean, I guess the delegation, and I suggested this, and you, you would have thought I suggested something crazy— don't fund a penny for any of the UMass system going forward until they fix this. And when I suggested that, I got back from delegation members, oh, we couldn't do that. The whole the whole university system wouldn't get any money. This is Shakespearean, Jim. I, in the 24 years I've been here, this is the most colossal failure of New Bedford's elected leadership that I've seen. A college that was universally credited as being the key ingredient, if not one of the key ingredients, into the revival of downtown, somehow they let it go. And all the finger-pointing is it's all UMass's fault, it's all Montigny's fault, it's all Mitchell's fault. As far as I can see, it's everybody's fault.
1: Last few weeks, there's been talk around that uh, Donnie may want to uh, put some retail businesses on the first floor and then go condos above. Uh, uh, I don't know if he's going to do it. He's going to bring somebody in to do it, another developer. I don't know. But that seems to be something that's uh, floating around here. You heard that?
0: Jim, I have heard that. But when has it ever been easily to do a project like that in downtown New Bedford with retail on the first floor and housing or offices on the second and third and fourth floors? They tried to do that at the Compass Bank. Nobody ever filled that building. It was 20 years after Lee and Tyre built it that... Finally, Jim DeMello ca- came in and undercut all the landlords renting to nonprofits in town and filled it up with nonprofits. He could afford to do that. Hopefully, he'll make his money back. But there are empty storefronts in downtown New Bedford now, and they're saying, yes, New Bedford has made progress. When I got here 24 years ago, all the storefronts were empty except for one or two. Now, they're about half and half, but there's still many empty storefronts. And they're saying, oh, we'll just put retail in the foot." F- the first floor, Well, just put housing upstairs. Or offices. Every, or offices. Every time they've tried to build, I, except for Compass Bank, I haven't seen them build a, an office building in downtown New Bedford. Housing in downtown New Bedford has been few and far between. Yes, we had one this week, and we, we have the other one down by the National Club, but those projects both took five years to do. That means a, a building with a, a, a leaky roof could sit empty for the next five, ten years, in the heart of downtown New Bedford, a block from the Zyterian Performing Arts Center.
1: One of your reporters, uh, Colin Hogan, did a a study, uh, looked at a study, and uh, concluded a couple of things about the offshore wind jobs. There won't be as many, and they're not right away. Isn't that
0: right? That's right. That's exactly right. It was a great story by Colin Hogan, one of our young reporters at the New Bedford Light. You know, since wind first was suggested as coming to New Bedford and Fall River and Rhode Island, people have thought, talked about thousands of jobs. Well, what does that mean? Colin scratched scratch the surface. And what it evidently means is thousands of hours of jobs. These wind jobs are a little bit like fishing in that the turbine parts come in, they ship them out. It's not a 365 a day a year job, you know, where you have a job from year to year. No, it's sporadic work. Even among that, so they, they're talking about thousands of jobs, but what they really mean is thousands of hours of jobs. So it's, it's more like hundreds of jobs. Then once you get down to the hundreds of jobs, most of them are going to people from out of state, who have, or out of region is a better way of putting it, who have the technical expertise to do these jobs. I think there were 12 Steve stevedores after the, the longshoremen struck You know, to get yeah. the, the few jobs that New Bedford has gotten. I will say that I think it was the right thing to do to to try to bring wind to New Bedford, you would be second-guessed ad nauseum if you let it all go to Fall River and Quonset Point in Rhode Island and places in Long Island where they're competing for these wind jobs. New Bedford was right to get their share. There were some, I mean, the NSTAR plant where Andrew Saunders controls, there were some pieces of idle property, but it's not the proliferation of jobs that people thought. Maybe those people will move here and live here when they come to work here.
1: We'll see. We'll see about all of that. Jack Spillane has been my guest, and Jack, of course, is a columnist for New Bedford Light. Uh, you can read Jack's work and other great stories at newbedfordlight.org. Thanks for coming in, Jack.
0: Thanks, Jim.
1: All right. Stay right here. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment.